Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 424. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. I am so glad you have taken the time to join me today. Our first episode of 2020. One And I have a great guest for you. I have Dr. June Kim on, the Senior Director and Instructor of Post-Baccalaureate Programs at Keck Graduate Institute. Now, June and I have been friends for a long time, meeting at different pre-med conferences, sharing stories, and really coming to find out that we have very similar philosophies when it comes to helping pre-meds. Now, where June is at Keck Graduate Institute, also known as KGI, not to be confused with Keck uh, from USC, uh, where June is, he interacts with postback students all day long, working at the postback program there. And he has great insight into what it's like to get into a postback program, how to evaluate postback programs. And that's what we're gonna dive into today because we get this question all the time. And so I brought June on, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Dr. June Kim, welcome to the Pre-Med Ears. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you whenever we get together at, at pre-med conferences or just random phone calls here and there. Uh, you are Dr. Kim, but not the doctor in what our pre-meds in the future want to be. You are the Senior Director and Instructor of Post-Baccalaureate Programs at Keck Graduate Institute. So I, I'm excited to chat with you because I get questions all the time about post-bac programs, formal post-bac programs, which is what Keck is, um, informal post-bac or do-it-yourself programs, all that kind of fun stuff. How did you end up in the kind of pre-med post-bac world? Great question. Uh, first off, I want to clarify any confusion because anytime someone hears the word Keck, yes. they think USC. So just to clarify, the Keck Graduate Institute is part of the Claremont Colleges in Claremont, California. Perhaps some of your uh, listeners are more familiar with uh, Pomona College, Harvey Mudd, Scripps College, and so forth. So with that clarified, so how did I get into postback? Well, first of all, I think it's important to know that I am some 28-year-plus recovering pre-med myself. <laughs> I thought I wanted to go into medicine and become a physician. Um, you escaped. I, I, I managed to escape and I really haven't looked back, but I do enjoy working with students who are embarking on that very journey that I began so long ago, but but shifted 
to instead working in education, more specifically teaching. So I've actually began my uh, career, my real career, right? Uh, the one that you get after you leave your parents' home. So <laughs> I was a teacher for LA Unified School District. So I actually taught middle school. Mm. Uh, I taught middle school for a couple of years. And then when I started my master's degree in higher education, I started to do some substitute teaching because I really wanted to know, did I want to be a classroom teacher for the K-12 system? And once I had about four years of that experience, I realized I love education. I love teaching. But maybe K-12 just isn't my cup of tea. Um, and so this is where I stumbled into higher education. My first higher education position was at University of Southern California as a biology advisor. And you could imagine biology majors. There's a few pre-meds in there <laughs> and pre-health students. So um, that's where um, I really got into this pre-health advising back in 2003. I was doing that. And then uh, about eight years out, getting some more letters after my name and such, and you know, really uh, became fascinated with uh, graduate students. Um, I felt that they were more focused, more motivated. And I thought you can also have more frank and candid conversations, tough love, if you will. That's, that's sort of my philosophy. And so um, I had the good fortune of coming across KGI's uh, brand new you know, founding director of the postback program. And they asked if I you know, knew a thing or two about working with pre-meds and pre-health students. And uh, for sure, that was me. And so uh, fast forward uh, 2021. Thank you, 2021. <laughs> uh, and so been working with postback students since uh, 2000 and let's see, 11. So uh, this is my uh, 10th year uh, working with postback pre-meds. And so uh, whatever questions you have, I probably have heard it before. So <laughs> probably. Far. Yeah, so let's let's talk about postback programs because I get this question all the time, uh, and so we're we're gonna have a good in depth conversation about postback programs. I I want to know from from your point of view, what makes a good postback student? Got it, got it. What makes a good postback student? Well, um, basically, it's the same for what makes a good student. Right. It's that self-driven, self-motivated individual because you can't have someone, you know, thrust success upon you. And this is where I see, saw this even at the K through 12 level, through undergrad level and now graduate students. And that is they think that if they make the right decision, that somehow that's going to trigger a cascade of correct decisions and the right outcomes that they want they're seeking. So, for example, I use the analogy of choosing a gym. Right. Are you going to choose Gold's Gym? Or are you going to choose, you know, Planet Fitness, 24 hour fitness if they still exist, L.A. Fitness? It doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, yes, it kind of matters because the membership fees are different and their you know, facilities, resources might differ a little bit. But bottom line is it really relies on the individual. Yeah. of how badly they want to do it. So same thing with postback programs. I mean, you have to understand when postback programs talk about their success rate, right? That percentage. Um, does that percentage predict your specific probability of success? Nope. I think not. <laughs> it's like the stock not. market. <laughs> Past Absolutely. performance does not predict future performance. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. why there's a disclaimer. And yeah. so you have to understand that a, a, a candidate who would make a really good postback uh, uh, student would be someone 
who's had some experience. Um, I mean, in our program, our average age is right around 24. So they've been out of school for a couple of years. And I think that's very important because it gives them a perspective outside and beyond just that of a student. Because if you think about it, a traditional student who has gone through their education, you know, first grade, second grade, all the way through through 16th grade, they've only been in school. I mean, they're like a professional student. Yeah. So to have, a, a, have some time, what we would call a gap year, right, is, is really tremendously helpful for students to understand their motivation, um, why it is that they're pursuing, how do they know that this is something that they want to do. Get out there, get some experience, go get a job. I mean, do something to help you uh, move from being a professional student to someone who's prepared to make a commitment, a lifelong commitment, if you will, towards a profession that is very demanding. As we saw 2020 remind us how healthcare practitioners are, it's, it's not a job, it's not even a career. I mean, it is your life and the lives of your community and constituents. So yeah, someone who's very uh, self-driven and yeah. motivated would make a good student. I love the the gym analogy because so many people, right, as, as we're recording this in the new year, so many people sign up for that gym membership and go, okay, now that I have a membership, I'm going to yep. now obviously completely change my mindset and I'm going to get in shape. And it's it's the same. I see this mistake over and over and over again with students is, is they just continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And they go, well, I was a terrible undergrad student. Now I need to go do a post-bac, but they don't change anything. They just think doing a post-bac, everything's going to mag- magically change when at the end of the day, right. it's up to the student to make that decision for themselves to say, what is what is wrong with my mindset? Where am I making mistakes? How do I fix this? Now I'm ready. And I, I've I've talked to a lot of students. I'm like, you need to stop. Stop registering for classes. Stop taking classes. You need some soul searching to figure out why you're not doing well. Where where is that hang up? And until you fix that, don't don't take any more classes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that might be helpful uh, for our students to understand is with motivation. So motivation is, is very complex. It's, it's got multiple dimensions. So there's three specific dimensions I want to talk about in terms of motivation, because uh, when we speak about uh, New Year's resolution, for example, uh, we're really talking about the initiation motivation. So, you know, the motivation to start something. Right. So uh, I am motivated to join a gym. I am motivated to lose some weight or get fit. Um, however, we also have two other important dimensions to motivation, which one of the other ones is the motivation to persist because you can join a gym, but you might not go or according to statistics, the average American <laughs> will go consistently January and February by March, April, they, their attendance starts to taper off. So they need to stick with it. So some of us have a very strong motivation for initiation. But we really lack in the persistence. And when we don't persist, we're not going to see the results. And we know all about that positive feedback, loop. that when you start to see the uh, results, then that causes you to be more committed and more motivated to keep continuing with what you've been doing. And then last but not least, let's face it, you can join a gym. You can be uh, you know, taking the initiative to join a gym. You could even go every day, right? You're persistent. You're persistent. You're persistent. But when you get to the gym, guess what? You're hanging out, socializing. You see some friends you haven't seen in a while. You're hanging out by the juice bar. So the last dimension of effort to your motivation is that you need to pour all of your effort when you are actually there practicing or going about doing what you're doing. 
So those are the three sort of dimensions to motivation. And I think if our pre-med students were to examine where are they strongest, where are they lacking, and what can they do to improve upon those areas, that might be a good place for them to start is to figure out our, because, you know, one of the things that, that I did as an undergrad pre-med was I did the initiate, I created a schedule, I'm going to study biology, I'm going to study chemistry and so forth. I even persisted because um, I stayed in undergrad for too many years. <laughs> but in terms of the effort, I would have my earplugs on listening to music. I kept telling myself that I study better when I have music. <laughs> well, that's, guess what? That's a lie. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a myth created by the music industry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I like what you said earlier. Why, you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. And yeah. so this is where, you know, knowing yourself, I know as, as, as weird as that sounds, is you need to know yourself well enough uh, before you can go out there and start, you know, treating and helping people. Yeah. What type of post-bac program is KGI for students, right? For, for students who don't understand what the, the question I'm asking, there, there's typically a career changer post-bac program versus an academic enhancement post-bac program. For, for you at KGI, some, some institutes have both. Some are just focused on one. What are you guys looking at? Yeah. Yeah. So for KGIs, it's uh, an academic enrichment, academic enhancer. So it's a program for students who already have taken all the science courses. They may or may not have taken the MCAT already. So it's really designed to help students elevate and become more competitive just because, you know, admissions has become so competitive. And I do worry that this is not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, um, I even talk about it with my oldest who's about to apply to college in a couple of years. I don't know if I could get into my uh, alma mater <laughs> these days. I mean, it's become so competitive. So um, the career changer postback program is exactly as the name suggests. It's for people who have not taken the sciences or very few of those science prerequisites, and they're pivoting towards a science health profession. So those programs, you would be taking your traditional biology, chemistry, orgo, physics, and so forth. So that's probably the most immediate differentiator of the two different postback program is the enrichment versus the changer. And just a comment on these programs in general, just like going back to my gym analogy, do you need to join a gym? I mean, do you need to pay membership and go to a beautiful facility, air conditioned with towel service and everything in order for you to get fit and reach your fitness goals? Of course not. DIY. Yep. You know, Rocky Balboa did it. You know, Rocky <laughs> Balboa didn't have fancy equipment. I mean, the guy just went up to the mountains or, you know, started chopping wood. So in a very similar way. Um, students are able to improve upon their academic uh, needs by taking classes on their own. Um, but again, it is nice to have a structured program where you have certain resources available to you. Yeah. Uh, for example, continuing on with that analogy, you know, going into a structured program with a designated advisor or advisors is like having a personal trainer, someone who is well-versed study kinesiology and understands the science of fitness and health and wellness, that they're right there with you to coach you on the techniques, the proper exercises that you should be doing for your body type and so forth. Maybe even talk about your diet and maybe you how you should change your diet. So um, that's kind of a general comment on postdoc programs in general. They really are uh, a nice sort of convenient way of, of going closer towards your goals. 
but you can certainly do it on your own. One of the the things for an academic enhancer program, uh, a lot of those programs still have cutoffs in terms of GPA, what they're looking for. It seems to be counterintuitive, right? I'm coming to you saying, I need to improve sure. my the my academics, my study habits, et cetera. Hopefully those are fixed before you start um, to, to prove that I am academically capable of doing well in medical school. But you're telling me you won't take me because I haven't proven enough sure. to you. How, how do you find yeah. that balance as a student? Yeah. Wow. That is an excellent question. I know we're supposed to say that for every question we ever get <laughs> in our lives, but no, seriously, that is a wonderful question. So so we're going to speak about academic enrichment because that's, you know, the question that this is really geared towards. How do I get into an academic enrichment program? Because that's the reason why I need that program is my stats aren't good. And part of that has to do with the fact that our program and every program out there really relies heavily on the success and that, you know, successful percentage. And and and, and so while we would love to be sort of the offshore postback program that, you know, has a, a large number of students going into the program, we also need to make sure that a lot of our students are successful, right? And so this is where, you know, the, the philosophy uh, will vary from program to program. Certain programs take a very much almost an open access, you know, uh, available for all uh, versus some programs have a very specific mission or a focus or maybe a specific population of students. So, um, yes, it is true that there will be some academic enrichment programs who, uh, where the requirements are going to be out of reach for some students. If you have a 2.1, 2.3, you're probably going to be out of reach for many of the academic enrichment postback programs. But again, that doesn't mean you can't get to your goal, yeah. right? It just means you have to take a different route. And I've told students this all the time that, listen, it just means that our program is not the right path for you. But here are here are some options for you. So, uh, for our program, it's about a, a B average. What I like to say when I'm doing various, you know, uh, student events is at KGI, we're looking for awesome, stupendous B students <laughs> because B students are are right there, just a little short, right? Um, and with that little extra boost at the end, uh, will help them become more competitive. And it's just not GPA. Yeah. And this is what I think a lot of students uh, miss the point is that if it's truly about GPA. Go ahead and take some some classes at your local community college. You know, get them get them for a bargain. I mean, GPAs are GPAs. Now, I think sometimes students fall into the trap of thinking, well, I took it at this school, so this school's you know GPA means more than this GPA at this school. No, um, I think it's probably maybe uh, thinking from their their high school days of getting an extra point for their AP and honors classes that you get this extra brownie point for taking at a certain institution. And what you have to understand is it really comes down to the um, aggregate evidence that your application conveys to those admission committees, whether you are going to be academically successful or you're likely going to struggle, right? So it really is almost a risk management endeavor. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need to just have a high GPA uh, to demonstrate that there are other ways you can convey that through your application. And so um, I love talking about, uh, you know, college football because it's so <laughs> applicable. I mean, does college, uh, you know, football teams rank purely based on wins and losses? Nope. No, no. Last I checked, no. I mean, they do look at wins and losses, but there's also some, you know, formula that they use with strength of schedule and 
you know, who, who do they play against and what was the uh, spread in, in, in their wins or losses. So it is much more nuanced. And yeah. so students need to understand that those GPAs, go ahead and take it wherever you think you're going to be most successful because they will be looking at your MCAT. They'll be looking at your life circumstances. They'll be looking at the timing of everything. So, um, yeah, we probably don't have time to co uh, cover everything, uh, but definitely um, post-bac is something that I can speak to because it's what I deal with day in and day out. Yeah. And I've been doing so. Yeah. From a financial standpoint, obviously a big decision for many students, um, whether they're doing a do-it-yourself post-bac, a formal mm -hmm. post-bac like KGI, or looking into a master's program, uh, talk about the financial aspects of going to a, a formal post-bac program like KGI. Yep. So the finances, it's very much like everything in life. You know, if I don't feel like washing my own car, guess what? I can go and pay to have someone wash my car. So it's a service, right? So the finance is very real and the finances vary from, you know, maybe a couple of thousands, several thousand, tens of thousands to, you know, uh, over 50,000 for some programs. And, and again, as a general rule of thumb, if it's a degree program, so you get a master's degree, they will tend to be more than certificates and so forth. So uh, in terms of the finances, I think you need to uh, really examine your specific financial situation. Um, and also, um, you know, is this something that you are going to pursue like wholeheartedly, meaning like it's, it's all your eggs in one basket. And the reason why I bring that up, and I can say that because at KGI, we're a very unique school where our students actually have the option of continuing on and applying with dental or med school or what have you. But they also, because of the nature of the classes that they take, because these are biotech, pharma, you know, uh, life science, uh, interdisciplinary courses, uh, they can pursue other, you know, career paths. In fact, uh, many of our alums have done just that. They've gotten jobs with Amgen, Genentech, and so forth. You know, uh, Gilead's been in the news. So, you know, people are familiar with Gilead. So we have uh, some students who have gone on to wonderful careers with Gilead. So it's kind of this unique you know, I got one foot towards the, the med school admissions path. But then if this doesn't work out for whatever reason, then I can go ahead and pursue uh, this job. And we've had students who've gotten jobs and they work for a couple of years making great money. And then they say, you know, this reminds me why I was interested in, in a clinical career in the first place. So they leave their jobs and then they go ahead and apply and uh, get in and they, they go go off to med school. So um, I think you need to look at not just the dollars and cents in isolation, but what would you be gaining by investing in your education? I mean, is there some benefit to it? And, you know, one of the things that I've told students is, listen, if you're getting a master's degree purely because you're trying to get in, right, you're trying to impress those admissions people because you have this advanced degree, I don't think that's a, a sufficient uh, reason to pursue an advanced degree and invest the kind of money that it takes to complete one of those, um, you know, master's or, or doctoral degrees. So um, I think the finance is definitely real. And so you want to look at it, uh, but look at it in terms of what would you be getting, right? Um, some programs, uh, you pay little, you get little. So I think what I'm trying to say is examine the value. Examine the value of each program and find out, is that what you're looking for, right? I mean, we, when, when, whenever we go purchase anything, whether it's a car, right? 
I mean, do I really need seat warmers in California? I mean, <laughs> uh, no, but it's nice, but then I'm going to have to pay for that option. So, I mean, if, if these are things that you know you can benefit from and you have the a luxury to pay for it, then, then by all means go for it. But I, I don't think students should fall into this thinking of, you know, if it's expensive, it must be a good program. Or, you know, if it's got all these bells and whistles, like that's going to help me because it really is like medicine. You know, it's this personalized. Each person is in a unique situation where you need to find out just because this program worked for this person doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's let's talk about the application to KGI. Is, is KGI part of the postback cast at this point or no? Not yet. No, um, postback cast is a great way for those of you that are looking at career changers because you know the applications are very similar from one to another. So why not have a uh, you know centralized application? However, for academic enhancement programs, I've talked to colleagues. Uh, some of them are, are really into the you know uh, centralized application system. It yeah. allows them to get more applicants and so forth. But I also have colleagues who have decided not to participate. And certainly our program is in that camp. We have decided not to participate for the fact that when we surveyed the last three to four years of our alumni and asked them, how many programs did you apply to? And something like 80% of them said, just KGI or one other program. So which tells us that our audience is different than maybe some of the other uh, student uh, out there looking at postback programs. And so we decided not to join I think it's just too easy for, for students to click on these different programs. And next thing you know, you look at your shopping cart and you're checking out and now you have an outstanding balance in the, in the hundreds, if not thousands. And so we have not participated in the application. So if you want to apply or check out KGI's postback program, you just want to go to our website, kgi.edu, and you'll see um, that the application is online. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, it shouldn't be too uh, time consuming. And then uh, one thing that I can do for us, uh, for all your students is uh, go ahead and use my name as a code. And you can get your application wave. Who knew that nice. you would get the nice treat surprise 2021. So just type in J-O-O-N as your, uh, I guess, promo code and you have your KGI postback uh, application fee waived. Nice. Let's, let's talk about... Um what makes an application really shine when you're reviewing applications or applicants right. what what are you looking for what what is a, a good application look like what does a bad application look like got it got it yeah so um put it simply what really impresses me is authenticity um i think right now it's fair to say that a lot of students out there think they know what everybody's looking for, what the admission director or the admission committees are looking for. So you try to almost try to figure out what they're looking for, and then you try to portray yourself as that. <laughs> but if you think about it, that's not how dating works, does it? Like, you know, that person's looking for uh, someone who's who loves the outdoors or looking for a vegetarian. And, you know, they love to, uh, you know, uh, do knitting. Well, that's not me. Yep. But if I really want to go out with that person, am I going to go pick up knitting and start eating only vegetable? I mean, I guess you could, <laughs> you but could. but you get the analogy. I mean, yeah. really you got to figure out who you are, what you're looking for and present yourself in your most authentic way. 
And for me, I see that in the personal statement. Students who are uh, writing their personal statement, it says clearly why they want to go to KGI's postback program, because I don't want to be the second date. I don't want to be a backup, right? It's like, dear, you know, USC's postback program, I will, I've always dreamt of being a Trojan, okay? <laughs> I mean, I usually don't hold that against a student because that does happen and it's a mistake. Like I said, it does happen frequently, but I look at what they're including in their personal statement and, and gather sort of who is this individual? What type of life experiences have they had? And so the authenticity for me is everything um, because I am a firm believer that it's not really about what you do that determines whether you get in or not, but it's who you are. So even with our alums, right, I mean, they think that if I do these things that the med school is going to take me, not necessarily, because you can do those things, but you could be a really bad person, a, a very, you know, uh, unsympathetic and just uh, someone who's just egotistical, then yeah, there's no place for you. Yeah. Um, although there's always some, you know, some crack somewhere where they're looking for uh, some some amazing stats. And so you might be able to make it. But for the most part, I think uh, health profession admissions has really uh, shifted towards an admission practice uh, looking at the heart of the individual, right? It's, it's the reason why so much of the application process is examining their motivation and their past experiences. But this is also where students need to recognize that, again, when you are describing those extracurricular experiences, it's not this tone of, look what I did. I did this, I did this, I did that. But rather, this is who I am. And these activities, involvements capture why I did those things. And it tells you who I am. And I think that's one of those things that I think uh, might be helpful for for students to know. I love that you said that. As I turned in my fourth book uh, to the editor, it's all about the application process. And a big chunk of that is is how to write these extracurricular activities. Students fail to capitalize. There's this whole section to further shine the light on who you are as a person. And, and mm-hmm. students take the opportunity to go, as a scribe, I take what the physician says and type it into the notes. Like that doesn't tell me yep. anything about who you are. Um, like, yep. They know what a scribe does. As an EMT, I go out on calls and save kittens from trees, right? It's like, no, like <laughs> that's not the goal of this. So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think um, obviously you and I resonate very much on the kind of the same wavelengths of what a good personal statement looks like, what a good application looks like. You, uh, for my personal statement book, you, you wrote a, a nice endorsement uh, for me. Um, and so uh, I, I love that line of thinking. Too many students try to, as, as you mentioned, right? Like, well, that that person over there likes likes someone who knits, so I'm gonna knit as well, and I'm gonna let them know I like to knit. Too many students in their personal statement set it up to where they say, well, I, as a physician, you have to be compassionate, and let me show you how I am compassionate. As a physician, you have to be dedicated. Let me show you how I am dedicated. I'm like, yeah. I don't care that you know all this and you're, yeah. you're selling, like, who who are you? Like, just, just tell me who you are and why you wanna be, right? Your motivations for wanting to be a physician. It's, it's such a failed opportunity to, to, to make those connections. Yeah. Oh, it's frustrating. Um, when it comes to the, the students at your program, T- talk about the time commitment, because a lot of students listening to this are thinking about a do-it-yourself post a formal post et cetera. 
When yep. it comes to a post back, and obviously you can only speak to your institution, but maybe you know a little bit more broadly, what does the time commitment look like? Can I work a full-time job and go to KGI or or a lot of other formal postbacks? Can can I do do I have to quit my job and is it full-time yeah. student? What does that look like? Yeah. So um I'll speak to you more broadly. Um I it varies, you know, uh depends on um how soon you would like to apply to med mm-hmm. school or whatever health profession school that is. Um if you are a career changer, I mean you pretty much have a much smaller window. And I, I think it's safe to say that most career changers are eager to go ahead and get started, right? I mean they they're making this switch later on in their life. So um, in terms of our, our postback program at KGI, you cannot work full time. We've had students who actually were working for biotech companies and then they quit their jobs to attend our program full time. Mm-hmm. Um, our students are able to work part time anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a week, but uh, it is a full time program. It, it requires your full commitment. Now, there are some programs out there where it is a almost a DIY because you get to set your schedule. You get to choose how many classes you want to take. You set the pace of the progress. So um, I think you, uh, each person needs to examine, you know, how and, and, and what is the uh, life circumstances and what are the limitations and that will help uh, sort of design which program fits their, their needs. Um, but in terms of working and other commitments, this is where, again, I think sometimes students get caught up in the, well, this is the reason why my grades were low in undergrad, right? Yeah. Um, I had to work these jobs and stuff. And so it's kind of like, okay, fine. Like that helps provide some important context. Your GPA is not as good as it was because you had to work those two jobs. Okay. So how's, how's that going to change? Or would that change when you do the post program? I mean, because if if you still need to work those two jobs, then you didn't do well <laughs> during undergrad yeah. and you can continue the same thing and expect a different outcome. And so that goes right back to what we spoke about earlier. So this is where, you know, I'm not going to say you have to drop everything. In fact, I tell our students, don't drop everything, because if you drop everything, extracurriculars, everything, and you only focus on your grades that really is the the football team that has a perfect undefeated record, but they only played against losing teams. Right? You, you need to <laughs> demonstrate. That? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you're gonna still sell jerseys. I mean, you're undefeated, but yeah. um, you need to be able to demonstrate that you can succeed in a realistic life context where you have family emergencies, where you have things pop up. I mean, look at last year with the pandemic. I mean. Yes, there are some severe, real limitations, but the reality is there are some individuals who will still rise up and still deal with that in the midst of a pandemic. So yeah. more specifically, I'm talking about you know extracurricular activities, right? It's too easy for students to say, well, I was going to do five different things last year, 2020, but because of the pandemic, I couldn't do any of it. Yeah. So cut me some slack. Well, you know, to be to be candid, no, you're not going to get some slack because you know why? There's two other people to the left of you, to the right of you, who in a pandemic were able to secure something or they created something. They yeah. did something. They were proactive. And so this is probably another dimension uh, that I always talk to my students about is, you know what? Stop being reactive. You're, you know, uh, being reactive is sometimes nice, like in boxing, counterpuncher, right? I mean, sometimes it, it, there's some advantages to to waiting. But in this case, you don't want to wait. 
You want to be proactive. You want to think about what can you do online? What What is it? I mean, I have a student who, who's been playing musical instrument. I can't remember. I think it was a clarinet. She's been playing for years and years. So what did she do last year? She started tutoring. She, she started doing music lessons virtually. I mean, how creative is that? Perfect. And when it comes to admissions, it really is how are you going to differentiate yourself, right? I mean, if you guys are all the same, which these days, it's funny and ironic because I know you see this as well. Mm. Uh, research, check. EMT, check. Scribing, check. It's almost as if our students are intentionally trying to look like each other. Yeah. And to make the admission committee member's job that much more challenging, like, hey, try to figure out what's the difference between us. It's no, you really want to pursue and engage in things that really matter to you, that you get excited about. And obviously, hopefully, at least one or a few of those things is clinically medically related. Yeah. But if it's all medically clinically related, then you know what? You're no different than the next person. Yeah. Not to mention, there's no way for them to figure out why are you doing this? What, what's your motivation for doing this? Yeah. I, so, I had a student a couple of years ago, uh, actually my first employee, because I, I loved her so much. Uh, she's in med school now. Uh, I met her uh, under the context uh, here at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. They do a wilderness medicine program. And she was a student. One of the questions that she asked when I was there speaking was, my advisor told me that I need to quit coaching soccer because it's not medically related. I'm like, keep coaching soccer. That's an awesome thing. If that's who you are, keep doing it because it, it'll it tell me so many other kind of intangibles that you're obviously yep. a great communicator, a great leader, all, all these other things that I'm not going to get from someone who's scribing. So um, yeah, I, I, I love that uh, take on it. Uh, as we wrap up here, I, I want to take it a little bit of a different direction. You're on the board at the NAAHP, the, the National Association of Advisors for the Health Professions. And and the NAAHP has what, what I call NAP. NAP has um, a advising kind of resource for students who maybe don't have an advisor, right? As we're talking about non-traditional students, a lot of non-traditional students don't have access to advisors. Talk about how a student listening to this who doesn't have access to an advisor can potentially get paired up with an advisor through NAP. Yeah, excellent question. So naahp.org uh, is where students, individuals can go to have access to a temporary, it's kind of like that you're emergency rooms. You can get there and you can get the help, but it really is for acute assistance. It's yeah. not a long term, but you can certainly take advantage of that because um, there are volunteer advisors, which I actually serve as a volunteer advisor. And I've been doing that for, I would say, at least seven years. Um, and I do respond to students' email. Um, actually, there's a wonderful person, a colleague by the name of Rob Cannon out in North Carolina. He uh, is kind enough to volunteer his time to sort of uh, triage some of the more immediate time sensitive questions. And then he's able to direct those inquiries to the proper advisors in different regions. So um, I definitely serve as a volunteer along with some others for California. Um, but yeah, that's a resource that I think uh, students who don't have an, uh, access to an advisor should utilize. And as I mentioned, it's for, you know, short term assistance um, and, that should be something that uh, you should take full advantage of if you don't have access to an advisor. And if you are currently in school, uh, you're an undergrad right now, I think you ought to at least 
check out who your advisor is. Um, yeah. I know that uh, having been an alum myself of a large undergrad institution, UCLA, um, it, it can be daunting or it, it's very difficult to locate who that advisor is. But at the same time, how do you know unless you've reached out? So maximize your resources uh, to take advantage before you start you know, making claims. Because as you and I both know, it's a very small world. It's a very small community. And so if I know who your advisor is and you're emailing me saying, oh, my advisor's no good, and I, I just had lunch with your advisor, that's not a good thing to do. So, yeah, Very cool. Well, June, thanks for coming on and sharing your years of wisdom in the post-bac world, in the pre-med world with our students. And hopefully they'll, they'll learn some things and hopefully you'll get some more students applying to KGI in the future using June as their promo code. <laughs> thanks again, Ryan, for having me. It's always great talking to you. Hopefully we'll catch up at a, a conference in person. Oh, hopefully soon. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. June Kim, Senior Director and Instructor of Post-Baccalaureate Programs at KGI. You can check out kgi.edu. And if you do apply there, again, use his name, June, J-O-O-N, as the promo code to save on the application fee when you apply. I hope this was helpful for you. If you're looking for more information on post programs, the old pre-meds podcast, if you haven't checked that out, is one for non-traditional students. And we cover a lot of information about post-bac programs there. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.